All right, we are back for another podcast. You have uh, Clay here with Sean. How you doing, Clay? Good, good. Kind of excited to wrap up these uh, How to Train More Effectively podcasts. So I'm excited about doing this. All right. So what other techniques do you think that we could use to be more effective in our trainings? So um, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is when you're training larger groups. Again, in, in our first podcast, we talked about how engagement is the goal, um, not participation. And But sometimes engagement is hard in, in larger groups. And so a, a technique to use is, is breaking people into smaller groups and, and learning how to, how to use small groups to, to get everyone engaged and involved. But, but personally, I mean, to be honest, as a participant, if I'm sitting in a big group meeting and the person says, okay, you're going to break into smaller groups, my heart kind of sinks sometimes. I'm like, ugh. Right. You got to be prepared to... Yeah, I think I have to be prepared. I think I, I, think I, I sort of want to just relax and, and let learning happen to me and I, I didn't want to have to be so involved. And, and so I, I, I sort of almost don't like it. And part of it, I think, is sometimes we do it so ineffectively, the small groups just become a little bit awkward and... and but in reality, it forces me to get more involved instead of just sitting there and, and listening. Um, but that's precisely why it's so much more effective to do. Le- learning to put people into groups effectively can be a really powerful training tool, but only if you do it the right way. Otherwise, it can be a colossal waste of time. And so sometimes people say, oh, that didn't work. I'm just going to keep everybody together and, and, and save the time on this. So, so here are some... Uh, little tricks of the trade of, of putting people into uh, it, doing group work. Because I, I think if you do it this way, it really works. The first thing I always do is I give everyone something to do on their own with a time limit. So maybe I'll say, okay, on your own, you have two minutes. You have to come up with a list or, or you have to write down an answer. Or I want you to think about X, Y, or Z and, and what you think your answer is on your own. And the question I'm asking wouldn't have a right or wrong answer. It would just right. be their thoughts, their opinions. In fact, I'm, I'm honestly hoping that the, whatever I'm asking them to do, there will be disagreement. Right. But, but, but the key is, first of all, do something on your own. Then what you do, before you get into groups, you, you, they're doing something on their own, and you're having them bring whatever answers they came up with to the group. Now... When they get into the groups, I've found that it's death to just say, now discuss this. If I just say discuss, they're kind of bored with that. But if I give them something to solve with the information that they're bringing to the group, then it changes the dynamic of the group. So so don't just say, you know, discuss because that's going to be met with silence. Give them something to do with what they did individually that doesn't necessarily have a right or wrong answer. They're, they're, they're much more likely to be ready to learn and stay involved in the learning process when they're given a problem, a question, or a task that is, is challenging or stimulating. So maybe, maybe you're saying, okay, you've all created your own list. I want you to debate and discuss what are the three most important things on all of your lists combined and prioritize them one through three. Now that's gonna involve some disagreement. That's gonna involve some debate and some discussion. And they're trying to solve something that they will all agree on. And maybe by the end they don't even agree on it, but, but, but if they can get majority rule, in reality, 
the three things isn't the training it's the discussion that leads to those three things the conflict that they're having it's the conflict yeah that, that that hopefully you're creating and then finally once once they've had a chance to kind of solve their problem give a chance for each of the small groups to debate um what they can so so one group came up with one thing another group came up with another thing bring those solutions to everyone together and challenge each other's differences saying things like okay so you guys came up with this but this group over there said that those seem to be at odds which one of you is right and you've now created a discussion that's happening in this in this group work so so uh, let me give you an example of that cuz uh, again reiterating this number 1 give them something to do on their own Number two, have them bring what they've done on their own to the smaller group to solve something. And then number three, have each of the groups report, debate, discuss, and, and create a little bit of conflict so that you're, you're creating a shelf for, for uh, everybody in this discussion. So an example, on your own, uh, I want you to come up with as many customer service mistakes as you've seen in your facility as you can. You have three minutes to make as big of a list as possible and be specific. So that's the thing that I'm asking everyone to do on your own. What are the big mistakes that you've seen in customer service in your facility? And they have a three, maybe they need more than three minutes. I only give them three minutes. So they have to be as quick as they can to try and jot those things down. Now, after their three minutes is up, I say, okay, now get into your small groups And I want you to compare the lists you came up with and as a group, come up with the three most common ones that you think plague our operation. Now, each person's bringing five or six. Some of them are going to be different. So maybe as a group, you have 15. What are the really bad ones? And somebody's going to say, oh, I think it's these three. And somebody else is going to say, no, this one is a huge problem that we have and we've got to overcome it. And you have debate and discussion and, and everybody's kind of getting involved in the, in the customer service training. Then you can say, okay, I want to see what each table came up with. You can compare answers, debate who you think is right. Uh, you, you, you challenge with further questions like, well, well, which of those do you think cost the facility the most? And there's no right or wrong answers, just, just their thoughts. You're, you're basically trying to get them to generate some heat in their small groups everybody's engaged and and that's one of the reasons why i'm a fan of of small group work because it gets everybody involved and engaged yeah it seems to be the key there uh any other techniques that you use yeah so again all these techniques that i like are things that i don't necessarily like as a learner but because they make me make more effort. Of course you uh, yeah. so, so another thing I don't like when, when the trainer says is, okay, I want you to take out a pen and write down, you know, dot, dot, dot. Uh, I, I read this statement once by a man named Frank Smith in a book called Myths of Writing. And, and it really was fascinating to me, and I, I found it to be very true. He said, thoughts are created in the act of writing. It is a myth that you must have something to say in order to write. Reality is you often need to write in order to have something to say. That was really interesting to me and I found it really true. When I ask people to write things down, I've just found that it generates thinking when they put a pen to paper, something just starts happening. Almost like the act of writing helps them generate some of the best ideas and that's why as a trainer i like to say 
okay, I want you in 10 words or less to write down what you think the most clear and concise definition of ownership is. What does that core value of ownership mean? And you can only use 10 words or less. And when they put that pen to paper, it really makes them think a lot more and it engages them. And sometimes they have to start writing in order to realize what they have to say. And then you realize that you go way beyond the 10 words because right. you have so many thoughts just pulling through your pen or pencil. Which is why I like the exercise of keeping it to 10 because it makes you prioritize those words and be very specific. And it causes you to think more. Deep. And in the end, that's what we're trying to do with our trainings is, is get people to think. So what are your some final thoughts on making training others more effective? Well, I, I think you know I'm very passionate about being more effective trainers. I, I, I would love to get accounting to, to calculate the amount of time and, and salary and, and uh, travel and everything else that we put into our trainings and the learning management system and the millions and millions of dollars that we spend trying to kind of develop our passion for learning, we've got to be better. Uh, I, 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 feel like, I feel like we know learning is important but there's a step beyond that that we call passion for learning, and we have to be better at creating a culture of passion for learning. Uh, the, the, the problem is school and academics has trained us incorrectly to where we're hesitant to be involved in the learning process and, and because the teacher would ask a question that has a right or wrong answer, or they try and trap us or trick us, and, and so we hesitate to be engaged because we don't want to be made to look like a fool. We've got to change this. The, this culture in my mind, this culture of a passion for learning has four really important elements. First would be love. What do the people I'm training think that I think about them? Do they know, and if so, how do they know that I have their best interest in mind, that I'm on their team, that I'm there not to trick them or show them how much more information I have than them. I really want them to learn because I know this knowledge is gonna make them better. So, so element number one in this culture is that love one another element. Okay. The people I'm training know that I care about them. Two, respect. Where respect, where the evidence of respect comes out is am I asking them questions and listening to them so that I can know how to best help them? Do I, re do I listen to them because I have so much respect for what they have to say? Oftentimes I found if I don't have a respect for the audience that I'm training, I frankly don't care about their answers because I don't think that they have anything meaningful to say. But a multiplier, as we learned in the book by Liz Weissman, a multiplier has so much respect for everyone around them that they're amazing listeners and they're constantly asking questions because they know that people around them have have just valuable information for them. So so step number two after love is do I do I respect them? We can have love for people without respecting them and we can respect them without loving them. We need to have both of those. The third element in this culture is trust. Do they feel free to share their thoughts even if it might be different from the crowds? I found that in training so often people are hesitant to to speak up just because they think their answer is different than everybody else's and they think, well, everybody else is probably right and I don't want to look like a fool. But if you can create that environment of trust where people feel free to share their thoughts, 
where they feel like it's a safe zone. Everyone can express themselves freely. Uh, a lot of you guys have seen the, the uh, video I show of, of every time a beep goes off, people standing up in a doctor's oh, yeah. office. And right. I mean, it's one of the one of the funnier ones. And but it's we, we hesitate to vary from the crowd. We 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 hesitate to speak up. But if there's trust, we feel free to ask questions. We, we feel free to disagree. And in our trainings, we need to make sure that, that there's that level of trust by creating a safe space. So, so love, respect, trust. And then the last one is, have I, have I established a sense of purpose? Do they know the why of what we're doing? Do they know why we're here? Do we, do we know why PBJ matters? Do we know why this MDS training is so important to them? Do we know the why? If we've established a sense of purpose in our training, then that is the fourth element to, to having really effective trainings. If I've set up this culture, they'll be ready to learn. And now with my new techniques, I think we'll be able to truly practice customer second and create our future leaders that we need in order to dignify long-term care in the eyes of the world. That's what we're trying to accomplish with these more effective trainings. Yeah, and I think all of these podcasts and everything that we've talked about has been super helpful. Uh, I can see personally where I make a lot of the mistakes, and I'm excited to take some of these learnings and and, uh, see how much better of a presenter, a trainer, a listener I can be and just see how much more effective trainings we can get out of this. Good. Well, I'm hoping people find these uh, find these helpful and listen to them again and again. You might have epiphanies the more and more you listen to these podcasts and start to realize, okay, this is something that I need to change and just take one thing at a time and work on it. All right. Well, thank you, Clint. Great. Thank you.